This week on Go Chuck Yourself, we're talking about Chuck versus the First Bank of Evil. Woo! To celebrate, I'm going to be reading my credit card number live on the air. Here it is, Chris, my credit card. Oh, okay, Aaron Six, has... 6394... <laughs> 059666. Ooh. Woo! What about the uh, CCS code? All right. Um, 831. Okay, good. And the expiration date? <laughs> that one you're going to have to figure out yourself. Ah. That's right, you can bank on us for a good time. Hello, welcome to Go Chuck Yourself. My name is Chris Gillespie. My name is Erin Arata. That was really delightful, Chris. Good good job coming up with a little thing this week. Thank you. I, I usually I don't usually write our little introductions like ahead of time, but I wrote this one ahead of time, and that's not a joke. I actually wrote down the <laughs> sentence, you can bank on us for a good time. Hello, welcome to Go Chuck Yourself, because I had this idea yesterday, and I didn't want to forget it, so I'm glad that you appreciate it. We are, of course, talking about Season 4, Episode 17 here. It's Chuck versus the First Bank of Evil. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, there was something that I wanted to to bring up to the group at large, to you, Aaron, and to our listeners at home. Okay. Um, we ended last week's episode talking about Taylor Swift and how you have tickets to Taylor Swift's uh, Lover Fest, which I'm assuming is some kind of group orgy. I'm not really positive. <laughs> um but it's been canceled because of COVID and it might yes. be coming back in the mm-hmm. future. Um, I had said, I had made a joke that you couldn't trust Taylor Swift with your money. You said that you could trust her. I'm sure you can trust Taylor Swift with your money. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I don't want that to be misconstrued. But then following that, you also, uh, you had posted on Twitter, a, a tweet campaign, if you will, to promote our episode about the cat squad using this Taylor Swift filter to, uh, to alter pictures of the cat squad. And and you, I correct me if I'm wrong, but you posed a question to people that said, who wore it better, Taylor Swift or the cat squad? Yes, that is all of this is correct so far. What is your question? <laughs> so I'm just wondering, um, I'm concerned that we're like on the precipice of starting a feud with Taylor Swift, which there's enough going on in the world that people certainly don't need a feud going on between what I would consider two equally large uh, presences <laughs> in the the entertainment world, go chuck yourself and Taylor Swift. So um, I, I just want to make sure that Taylor, if you're listening, I know you're a big fan of the show because uh, we talk about you occasionally. I just want to make sure that you know that we're not, you know, we don't have any ill will towards you. But now that we've cleared all that up, I did think it would be interesting. And I wanted to ask you, Aaron, as okay. a avid Taylor Swift fan and a Taylor mm-hmm. Swift scholar of many years, mm-hmm. yes. What mm-hmm. kind of if we did have a feud with Taylor Swift, what kind of diss track or maybe an entire diss album would she write about? Go chuck yourself. What kind of allusions would she make? What kind of you know literary devices might she implore to take us down a peg? Okay, so this is a really interesting question, and okay. Um, do you think, well, okay, so she would obviously have to make, like, little references to Chuck. Mm-hmm. So she would have to use, like, I feel like there would be a song in, like, all lowercase that would be called, like, Intersecting With You and, like, a, a lowercase letter U. Okay. I think that would be one of them. And it would be, like, 
seem like kind of romantic, but then if you like really listen to the lyrics, it would mm. be kind of like I I used to enjoy intersecting with you, but now I um I only enjoy disrespecting you or okay. something along those yeah. lines. Uh-huh. That sounds um, right. Yep, okay. Uh so she could go like if she was feeling like kind of like just like wanted to be really blunt about it, I feel like the album could just be called like Chuck You or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I think Taylor likes to be a little bit more artistic than that. Right. So um what I mean I was this, thinking that there would probably be allusions to like, I feel like at some point she would have to say like zero out of five zero out of five corn dogs. I don't know how many phrases mm. rhyme with zero out of five corn dogs, um, but maybe she could make an allusion to like a corn dog rapper blowing in the wind, or maybe she would okay. have a song. Mm-hmm. Maybe she could have a song that's just called Scooter in all lowercase. And it's well, like, that's actually really interesting because she could kind of double down because she's obviously having a feud currently with scooter brahm oh that's so, true like, so that's she could point. she could have a feud with us okay so that makes uh-huh. total sense yeah i feel like she would have a a line or like maybe like kind of like a promotional video on tiktok mm-hmm. where she was like make kind of a reference she would have her cats meredith and olivia and she would say there's room for one more i've always liked the name coco and then like look right at the camera and then she's kind of like trying to steal your your monkey daughter away from you. Right. My monkey daughter, who is once again watching us record as she <laughs> she does occasionally. I think there would also be allusions to I think she would probably play with the metaphor of castle a lot. You know, there could be like that makes sense. Yeah, she likes you know, like, castles. She likes castles. Um, Do you think it would be more in the vein of like a reputation kind of like dark pop era? Or do you think she would like? turn it into like kind of the more folk like evermore folklore kind of songs that she has now that's a good question i feel like it would be almost more i feel like you can kind of be more overt and aggressive if you go the reputation route like mm-hmm. she could have an album that's just called like versus or it could be chuck versus ah, you know, versus really something smart. like that and but i feel like if she went the folklore route, I feel like it would arguably be more hurtful towards us. <laughs> like the songs are like really thought out and like just beautifully written and about how much we suck. She could have Champagne Problems Part Two, which is just about the time we both drank bottles of champagne <laughs> live on the air. Now that was really stupid of us. That was great. I have fun. Yeah, memories it was fun. Of that. I had a fun time. It was yeah. We if only there was an excuse to do that again, but the show hasn't really presented us with one. Um I, when when Chuck and Sarah get married, probably there will be a chance. Yeah, hopefully, unless they have a dry wedding, which would be no fun. There could be like, what could she do with the buy more? She could have what she could have like home theater room could be a song. I could see that on an album. I can buy more, but I can't buy your respect. Or like, wow, you mm. can you can buy more, but you can't buy me. Ah, that's really good. That kind of reminds me of like. um I did something bad. I feel like that's kind of like in the same vein. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So just some ideas, Taylor, if you do want to have a feud with us, these are, uh, we look forward to your award-winning diss tracks on us. I have, okay, I have one more thing. Yeah. You know how she had kind of like the teen love triangle on folklore with like James and um, the unnamed narrator of August and also Betty. I feel like she could have, three songs and one of them would be chuck or like would have a character named chuck then she would have mary 
um, who could either be like Mary, like M-E-R-R-Y, or like Mary, like M-A-R-Y. She does have Mary's song on her original album, so she could do something with that. And then there could be one that is called Kill, and that could be like the the trio. They wouldn't all have to be in a row, but maybe it's like the second track, the sixth track, and the eighth track or something. Like mm-hmm. That's I my feel, idea. I feel like she could also, I mean, we're getting, I guess, moving away from diss track territory and more of Taylor Swift just writing a celebratory album inspired by Chuck. <laughs> um, and go check yourself, but maybe she could also. I feel like one of the big hit singles would probably be called "Food Is Sexy," and oh, it would yes. be like the jam of the summer. And featuring then- <laughs> uh, Brendan Urie, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think the so the closing track of the album would be "Anything Is Possible," and it would be like a really sweet kind of like two oh, yes, little okay. piano mm-hmm. ballad thing featuring Bonnie Bear. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So, okay, so on that note, <laughs> let's talk about Chuck in the way that we talk about Chuck, which is a, not usually a musical way. I mean, sometimes music is is involved occasionally. Um, but right now, I don't think it's going to be that musical. So, Aaron, <laughs> why don't you tell us about the first bank of evil and Chuck uh, going against it? So we pick up right where we left off in the last episode. Vivian Volkoff has put her locket into the horse statue, causing it to open a panel in Volkoff's office wall. She approaches, and I gotta say, I don't know if it's that I'm missing Timothy Dalton or just, like, she is a beautiful woman, but she's wearing, like, a leather coat and high-heeled boots, and if I can't have the Volkoff I want, I'm perfectly happy with this Volkoff. She looks great. What's that song? If you can't love the Volkoff that you want, love the Volkoff that you're with? Exactly, yes. That's my motto for this episode. So she opens this panel in the wall and she finds what looks like a clear plastic or maybe glass credit card on a little stand. That's it was actually pretty cool. I mm-hmm. prefer that to like the black Amex or like the gold cards. Like I would love a clear credit card. Might might be easy to lose, though. Maybe. I don't know. Probably get dirty with fingerprints. That's true. Yeah. So she removes it and a little red button starts blinking on the back of the stand. And in walks Riley Volkoff's lawyer, who is played by Ray Wise. He reads her a letter from Volkov in which Volkov tells Vivian that she can use the card to rebuild his empire. Vivian doesn't really want to do this, so Riley takes out a gun to threaten her. I don't know, like, if he's just going to, like, hold the gun to her and be like, rebuild the empire now! Like, I don't, I don't know. That seems like a temporary solution, but whatever. She stabs him with a letter opener, takes the card, and runs out. We got to another private moment between Sarah and Ellie, which I was excited to see, but it's not quite as progressive as last week's episode, particularly since Ellie refers to picking flowers for the wedding as girly stuff, and their whole conversation is about the special moment when you realize you're marrying the man of your dreams. All that aside, Sarah's a little overwhelmed by wedding decision-making, and Ellie is there to support her. At the Buy More, Morgan is looking at TVs for his new apartment. Chuck asks how that's going, and Morgan says he's found a place, but he needs to find a new roommate. He asks Chipper about his time at home with his mom, but as soon as Chuck's gone, Morgan deflates. Big Mike comes over, and they discuss the fact that Morgan has been kept up several nights by Big Mike and Morgan's mom just fucking, I guess. Big Mike tells Morgan, if you move into the forest, you can't complain about the wildlife making noise. Morgan says he needs his own place, and Big Mike agrees. I don't know if you, I, I would probably describe it as making love. I don't know if I would, I'm sure it's much more emotional than just your That's your true, but I feel milk. like it's probably both. I feel like there is a lot of love making, but I feel like Big Mike does reference it getting kind of wild at times. Uh, so I feel like there are probably both instances. 
So downstairs, Vivian has apparently flown from Moscow to Castle to discuss her encounter with Riley. I know she's freaked out, but I don't... That's good on her for just, like, getting on a plane after that encounter. Chuck flashes on the card and immediately calls a meeting with Beckman. Apparently, Volkov's funds are being held in the first bank, not of evil, but of Macau, an impenetrable fortress the CIA has never been able to crack. Beckman is excited at the idea of Vivian being on their side, and gives Chuck the mission of turning Vivian into a Volkov in order to get them into the bank. Chuck is reluctant, but Beckman don't give a shit. I'm sure this won't go wrong at all. In his office, Morgan is placing what appears to be a Craigslist ad looking for a roommate. That's, uh, you know, I've done that before. You ever done that before? I have, I have not. You've never really had a roommate, I guess. No, I, no, not Other like a, a true, true roommate, no. I actually found some really good roommates on Craigslist in my in my time. Oh, well, good for but you. Morgan is struggling, uh, which is clear from the fact that he describes himself in the ad as a fabulously bearded man. Jeff and Lester come in to ask Morgan for time off because they'd like to attend a renaissance fair. Morgan refuses, even when they offer him an extra room in their van. Morgan leaves the office without shutting or locking his computer, which is basically asking for Jeff and Lester to mess with it and or his post, which they do. Since all prospective roommates will be meeting Morgan at the store for some reason, you can't just, like, meet at a nearby coffee shop or even, like, the Orange Orange or anything. They're just coming to the store. Uh, Lester says they'll bring the Renaissance Fair to them. Back in Castle, Vivian is reluctant to go along with the mission. She and Chuck have a heart-to-heart where Chuck is oddly nice about the man who destroyed his family. He talks about his own experiences with his father leaving and how the chance to talk with him allowed Chuck to realize that even when he was gone, Steven still loved his family. I'm kind of, like, I get, like, this is in character for Chuck because he's a nice guy and he tries to, like, help people out. But I am surprised that he's not a little more conflicted about this idea where Volkov is concerned. But I guess he's, like, compartmentalizing. He's just, like, really wants to help Vivian and he's not really thinking about, like how much harm Volkov did to the Bartowski family. I don't know. Yeah, Chuck doesn't... He's not really a vengeful guy. He uh, yeah. doesn't really I, I hold a grudge. He's yeah. he's pretty forgiving, I guess. He's like, Volkov, out of the picture? Not not a problem anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, he assumes the best in people, so he wants to That's assume true. the best in Vivian. And yeah. I guess also, as a result of that, the best in Volkov. But I guess Chuck does have a first-hand view of, like, Volkov's all-consuming love. So, I don't know. I... <laughs> That would be kind of a weird uh, aside for him to give Vivian, like, yes, I'm sure your dad loves you because I know that he was fucking obsessed with my mom. He just would not leave her alone. He's got a lot of love to give, so I'm sure (laughs) that uh, you (laughs) could also be the recipient of a different kind of his love, not the same kind of love that he has towards Mary, but... He could, uh, like, tell Vivian about, like, how desperate uh, Volkov was for a family on Thanksgiving... And, and probably then she would feel bad because she would be like, well, he could have come to see me. And then, like, it, you know. But then she's like, maybe she doesn't th- celebrate Thanksgiving because she's That's British. That's true, because she's British. Yeah. Okay. So Chuck and Sarah show Vivian a super cool gadget that scans your body, then gives you outfit options on a hologram of yourself. Which is honestly like, can I have that? Weird, like... That's cool. Are we supposed to believe that this was in Castle the entire time and that Team Bartowski has been using this? Well, it seems, like, very integrated. Like, it's, like, in the walls. It's very, like, complicated, (laughs) and there's a whole, like, um, not, like, an automated kind of conveyor belt, like, a conveyor belt kind of clothes rack of all the things. Yeah. Like, an archive for a wardrobe. I have to assume that 
the outfits like reach into the the vents in some way? They're huge because like when I used to work when I worked at Kohl's briefly in the back room, they had one of those things. And it was literally I think it was either two or three stories tall. It would literally snake up into the um, yeah, I guess it would have been a third story, basically. Wow. So like the very top of the building. And then it would basically consist of the entire footprint of the store. Like it was massive. So um, it's basically like the door scene in Monsters, Inc. Yes. Yes, okay. it was exactly Good. like that. And I was very <laughs> afraid to use it, but I was very curious if I, I did not have the ability because uh, no one liked me at that job. But if I was better liked, I may have had the ability to go up and actually look at it myself because I was like, what does this look like? Why are there so many clothes? That's actually really interesting because I have not ever worked like clothing retail specifically. So I don't, I'm not really familiar with what goes on in the back of a Kohl's. So uh, basically just a lot of heartbreak and depression. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, That's pretty much it. Yeah. So they use this uh, gadget to make Vivian look more evil, which basically just means a black shirt instead of a green shirt. She doesn't really look that different. I thought they were going to like put a black wig on her, or, like give her a leather jacket. <laughs> but no, it's just kind of like a black shirt and skirt combo. Chuck shows Sarah a hologram of him in a tux and Sarah starts hedging a bit. When Chuck asks her what's up, she says that wedding planning really isn't her forte. And she's worried about letting Chuck and Ellie and everyone else down. As they're talking about this, Chuck and Sarah see Casey passing by. Chuck and Sarah rush out to ask Casey where he's been since they haven't seen him in a while. And I felt a little guilty here because I also had not realized that he wasn't in this episode until that point. (laughs) You and I both. He's heading towards the secret castle door where he got his secret job offer last week. Apparently, he seems to have accepted it. Chuck and Sarah ask Casey if he's preparing for their mission since they have to leave soon. But he says that Beckman's given him a mission of his own. Chuck and Sarah are like, what? So two things are apparent from the next series of scenes. One is that Morgan didn't proofread his post before publishing it, which isn't really that surprising, all things considered. But two, apparently there were just a lot of medieval costumes available on the WB lot this week because a whole gaggle of Renaissance folks show up to interview for Morgan's posting. Kind of nonsensically. This doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the episode other than that it's like kind of funny. And it also, like, it doesn't, in terms of the the show in a larger sense, we, this is the first time that we're hearing about Jeff Lester being into Renaissance fairs. Yeah. So it's like, not even just is it out of the blue, but it's like <laughs> extra out of the blue. And yeah. I was also surprised that they did this within the first 15 minutes because I was thinking, well, this is odd. This seems like something that would have been later on in the episode as this yeah. kind of arc reaches its climax, but... Um, no, it's just it's just happening. It's happening. And apparently even people who attend Renaissance fairs, they like dressing up as their Renaissance fair characters in in public and going out to meetings dressed like that. Or do you, the, the the posting must have said, please come in your best Renaissance fair garb. Yeah, that's what I have to assume. But if you like have any ideas on what specifically the post said, I am very curious, like. Because a lot of people were there. Like, it seemed like more people were there than would be interviewing for this roommate position. So, like, I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. There's a king, there's a sexy woman, and there's a centaur. And that's, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I don't, what do the, what do the people think they're there for? I don't know. The centaur was very elaborate. And it they was, all, yeah. They all seemingly want to take advantage of whatever opportunity Morgan's offering. I mean, I interpreted that Jeff and Lester had published the post 
while Morgan was gone, so he didn't actually yes. have mm-hmm. a chance to proofread okay. it. Okay, that, that makes sense, but I feel like he would still be alarmed by that, because he didn't publish it. Uh-huh. I feel like he would, like, check it? Like, was it just, like, an open call that said, like, hey, if you want to live with me, come to the Buy More? Like, wouldn't it usually be, like, kind of like they would email and say, like, hello, I'm coming at this time, are you available? Like, I don't, there, there's a lot going on here. I also think that, you know, maybe Morgan brought it upon himself. Like, why didn't he just, rep- it sounded like, you know, Jeff and Lester could use time off unless it was like, we need time off tomorrow. In which case I could see Morgan not wanting to approve that as a manager. But if they got in their request in an a appropriate amount of time, I don't see why he would shoot it down. You know, that's kind of mean. That, I mean, that's, that's fair. They did say they wanted two weeks off though. So that is kind of a long time. Oh, two weeks. Yeah. But they might. You know, we don't really see them that often. They might have vacation time built up. They, they might true. have paid time off that they could use if they wanted. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, it's Morgan's fault. I guess I'm forming some kind of union for buy more employees. Am Watch I... out. Don't don't let corporate hear about this. <laughs> uh, if you want to join the buy more union, meet me at the, uh, meet me at the docks <laughs> at 6 p.m. tomorrow night. So, Morgan also has a question, much like us. Specifically, a question for Casey. Morgan asks, can he stay in Casey's extra room? God forbid Chuck have a set that isn't the Buy More Castle, the apartment complex, or Macau? In Macau, Sarah and Chuck brief Vivian on their plan. She's going to have to get them into the vault in the bank, at which point she'll be rigorously tested. She's a little bit worried about this test. So it seems like they are, obviously the Bank of Evil must have been some kind of, they were probably on location somewhere at some kind of hotel or some kind of other corporate building skyscraper kind of thing but the whenever they do like the cityscapes and like outside shots of macau that looked like a real place so do you have any idea where they would have filmed that because it didn't look like los angeles there were very distinct looking towers that were lit up in a way that i did not recognize i'm obviously not an expert on los angeles but this definitely doesn't look like anywhere in LA for me. It's possible that they're like trying to pass Vegas or off, but I just had to assume that they kind of like, I don't know, would it make sense for them to like use a green screen or like insert the characters into this one shot of Macau? I feel like that that's probably that's what Macau looks like, right? I have no idea. Yeah, that's I'm looking at it now. That's okay. Um, that's pretty accurate. Like it kind of looks like it looks. The closest thing I can compare it to is probably like a Vegas kind of set. So they probably just like borrowed the skyline. It's definitely not L.A. So Vivian and Chuck enter the bank. Chuck is wearing glasses and a fake mustache, which is a disguise we've never seen before. I, for one, am very uncomfortable with Chuck's mustache. (laughs) I did not like it. It was pretty uncomfortable. When he starts (laughs) using like kind of like a Midwestern Southern accent later, he reminds me a lot of the character Ted Lasso. Um, which I don't think that you have watched yet, but anyone who does, probably very excited by that reference. Is on my list. It comes highly recommended from Aaron, and I've been meaning to check it out, so I will understand that reference soon. Anyhow, Vivian and Chuck are confronted by the bank manager, who thinks that they're strangers and invaders, but Chuck explains that Vivian is an account holder. The manager apologizes and scans Vivian's uh, glass or hard plastic credit card and welcomes her into the bank. As they enter the bank, Chuck tells Vivian that they can find another way to freeze the account. This is too dangerous. But Vivian insists that this is their best way of learning about Volokov and walks off with the bank manager, leaving Chuck behind with a security guard in the bank lobby. Chuck pages Sarah to tell her what happened, and Sarah pulls up the bank's blueprints and tells him that there's an alternative stairwell that he can use to follow Vivian upstairs. Chuck looks around and sees that he will need a key card to access these stairs, 
Chuck approaches the security guard and pesters him about whether or not Vivian is really safe up there on her own. The security guard insists that she is safe, but Chuck suggests a kung fu master could break in, which, I mean, feels a little racially charged given the setting. Um, but maybe Chuck didn't mean anything by it. Maybe it was just the first thing that came to mind. Uh, Chuck does a kung fu pose and the security guard punches him in the stomach, perhaps deservedly so. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. <laughs> Causing Chuck to fall into the guard. Chuck apologizes and walks away with the security guard's key card in hand. Upstairs, the bank manager leads Vivian into the vault where she is presented with a keyboard, a mouse, and a hand scanner. Vivian places her hand down and gets a prick to her finger. The bank manager explains that they require a DNA sample to prove that she is who she says she is and that she's still tied to her father's account. Bank manager opens the door and walks away, leaving Vivian alone and very concerned. Elsewhere, Chuck has managed to make his way up to the floor of the bank where the vault's located. Sarah guides him through the halls, and there's a moment where Sarah is alarmed when Ellie texts her to arrange cake testing. Chuck asks why Sarah is alarmed by that, and Sarah admits that she is feeling overwhelmed by all of the wedding planning. Chuck suggests that she focus on one thing at a time to avoid getting stressed out. At this point, Chuck sees a man exit some kind of server room. Chuck walks over to take a look and ends up flashing on what looks like miles and miles of computer servers. He pages Sarah to tell her that all those servers were stolen from the Chinese military a year ago. Sarah asks what he thinks their purpose is, and he says he doesn't know, but it must be something serious. Vivian, meanwhile, must pass a voice-controlled lie detector test. She answers the first two questions easily by telling the truth, but must lie for the third question when she is asked if she is working with law enforcement. The test ends after this question, and Vivian doesn't know if she passed or failed, but it turns out that she did pass. Uh, the bank manager congratulates her, apologizes for all the extreme measures, and says that she won't have to go through that process next time. He presents her with a safety deposit box. Vivian is incredulous, but the manager ensures her that Volkov only used the box for his most treasured possessions. Vivian opens the box to find, well, herself. It's all old <gasps> photographs and newspaper clippings about Vivian that Volkov has been collecting this entire time. As this is happening, Chuck bumps into a security guard who asks him what he's doing. Chuck says that he's just looking for an ATM. Sarah asks if he needs help up there, and Chuck says that he does not. But then a big security guard walks around the corner and picks Chuck up by the neck. So Chuck changes his mind and asks Sarah for help. She says that she's coming to rescue him. Uh, Vivian and the bank manager exit the vault and find Chuck apprehended by these two security guards. The guards report that they found Chuck wandering around a secure area, which I know that was like part of Chuck's mission, but you think he would be a little bit more, you know, inconspicuous about it. Chuck apologizes to Vivian in a way that reminds her that she needs to be mean to sell her cover. So Vivian slaps Chuck and points a gun at his face and asks if he was trying to steal. She says that she trusted Chuck and then cocks the gun. The bank manager tries to calm her down, but she says that she's been lied to. The manager compromises and says that she does not need to shoot Chuck in his bank, to which Vivian lowers her gun. Seems to me that Vivian is taking her role as an evil Volokov a little too seriously. Uh-oh. I'm sure it's nothing. Back in the lobby, Sarah enters just in time to see Chuck and Vivian being escorted out. Before Vivian exits, the bank manager says that although he didn't see the family resemblance at first, he now sees that Vivian takes after her father. So at this point, I had to stop and wonder, who is Vivian's mother? Is that ever explained? Do we ever find out who that is? I don't think so. Was, are Volokov some kind of like asexual creatures that reproduce without a partner? 
Like, did Volokov just lay an egg someday and Vivian hatched out? Yeah, uh, that's that's really the best possible explanation. I really don't think the show <laughs> cares. Because I just feel like there's so much, maybe if they get into it at some point, that, because, I mean, yes, Vivian is, you know, Volokov is Vivian's father, is one of her parents, but, like, what kind of relationship did Volokov have with her mother? What kind of relationship does she have with her mother? There's no way Mary could be her mother. I mean, that's definitely not canon in the show. I feel like she's not old enough for that to be happening either. That would be a twist if she was a half-sibling with Ellie and Chuck. Yeah, well, you know, they could... They're lacking in family because Mary is nowhere to be seen. Where the hell is Mary? She should have <laughs> been here this Mary? whole time. Come on. We, it took so long to find her, and now she's just... Does Mary know about Vivian? I feel like she could help in this situation. Right, like, did Volokov talk about Vivian to her? I imagine that he would have. I, I have to assume, but maybe he was keeping her a secret. I don't know. Later on in Castle, Chuck, Sarah, and Vivian are going over the contents of Volkov's safety deposit box looking for clues. Sarah gets a wedding text from Ellie, so she steps out to call her, leaving Chuck alone with Vivian. Vivian points out that Chuck at least had the chance to speak and reconnect with his long-lost father, but she will never have that opportunity, uh, especially if Volkov is going to be held in a CIA prison somewhere. Chuck goddamn Chuck, sympathizes with Vivian and says that he understands what she's going through and that he will try to work with the CIA to set up a meeting for her. Vivian hugs Chuck spontaneously and thanks him. So it turns out that Ellie's wedding epiphany that she had was that she and Sarah are doing everything backwards. They shouldn't be planning Sarah's wedding to Chuck. They should be planning Sarah's wedding to Ellie. She's going to leave Devin and Clara so that she and Sarah can elope and start a new life together. Oh my god, I would love that. So that's not what happens, but I would be immensely surprised if there isn't any Sarah and Ellie fan fiction out there. And if there's not, Chuck Fandom, get on it. Send in your best Sarah and Ellie Chuck fan fiction. Fan fiction, Sarah and Ellie. Uh oh. <laughs> Find anything good? Well, this one says warning includes incest and angst. So I'm going to just uh, back away from that for a second. <laughs> um this one's called sarah loves girls so that's kind of promising uh-huh it involves ooh, it involves zandra okay all right that makes sense yeah, sarah karina ooh, ooh. okay um yeah we're gonna i'm gonna save this for later and we can <laughs> continue with the episode i'm going to open the window to cool down a bit as we <laughs> continue um so in all seriousness ellie says that sh they should really be constructing the wedding around sarah's wedding dress uh, which she hasn't picked out yet. Sarah is weirdly on board with this and says that she's going to do some research, which means, you guessed it, using Castle's brand new augmented reality fashion system to virtually try on dresses. And I mean, good for her. Do you remember this scene? This is a scene that, like, stuck in my head in my memory of, like, I did not remember this scene at all. Okay, good. Good to know. It was like I was watching it for the first time. <laughs> also, I have to point out that Ellie is calling Sarah from Chuck and Sarah's apartment for no apparent reason. That's a that's a good point. I didn't I didn't notice that at the time, but yes, that is true. So I just I guess they have each other's keys. Like that's not really that crazy. Maybe sometimes they need to like borrow sugar or like feed the fish or something. But like, mm. I, yeah, it is weird that they're just like in each other's apartments sometimes. Hey, uh, Sarah, it's Ellie. I was just um, rifling through your things in your bedroom, <laughs> and I, I was thinking that you know you really should have a wedding dress before we pick out the the style for the rest of the wedding. I mean, like. 
I don't think there's any correct way to plan a wedding, but it is kind of a good point. Like, I do feel like she should probably figure out the dress situation because that, like, takes the longest to, like, deal with. Yes. Before you can say yes to the wedding, you need to say yes to the dress. Wow. Yes. Now streaming on Discovery Plus. Check it out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we then hear a song that I I could say that we both thought was Frightened Rabbit, who are, of course, friends of Chuck. You know, the show Chuck, Frightened Rabbit, appears a lot. Um, but the music was not by Frightened Rabbit. It was by another Scottish alternative band called Admiral Fallow. Um, it was good. It's a good song. It was good. I, it's very peppy. It's very nice. It feels appropriate in the scene. I am a casual fan of Frightened Rabbit. You were a bit more of a, a, a bigger fan of Frightened Rabbit, and it even fooled you. Yeah, it did. <laughs> I will say it did not necessarily fool me in the scene, but it fooled. Well, I was watching with subtitles, so also it said that it wasn't Frightened Rabbit. So it didn't fool me in the scene, but in my memory, I remembered this being like the twist or like Swim Until You Can't See Land or like one of those songs. Mm -hmm. But there hasn't really been a lot of Frightened Rabbit in season four. No, I guess season four, they didn't really have that elusive Frightened fright Rabbit money budget. That's so totally fair, yeah. It's okay. Um, they're basically the same thing. I mean, I don't know. I don't know anything about Admiral Fallow, but it sounds a lot like Frightened Rabbit. Uh, yes, yeah. Anyway, we cut to a montage of Sarah trying on different wedding dresses, and it's cute uh, because she doesn't like any of them, or she thinks she doesn't like any of them until she finds the one. <gasps> so um, this is not a sexist thing. It's just a co-host thing. I can't describe the dress that she likes using terms that will make sense. Are you able to describe it in a way that would like what kind of dress uh, it is? Oh, God, I can't even picture it. Um, it's like simple and elegant. It's like that's what I wrote down. Like, I said it's simple yet elegant. But like it's is it white. <laughs> it's like I think it's satin. Um, I know there's different silk? cuts of wedding dresses, but I don't know All what right. kind of... You're, you keep making me Google things. Um, types of wedding dresses. I See, I don't know. You could have done this. <laughs> I thought you would know, um, because I guess I'm sexist. I Let's let's say it's... Um, I'm looking at the cuts. Okay, I've got, I've got something. Um, it looks like it might be a sheath dress or a modified A-line. Okay. Let's go with sheath dress. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Although it could be a column. I don't think it's an A-line. No. Let, okay. Sheath dress. Let's say sheath dress. That seems it's hard to say, but it is probably accurate. So whatever kind of dress it is, Casey walks into the wardrobe room at this moment and compliments Sarah's dress. Uh, she's very smitten with the dress. Uh, but then Casey points out that the dress has bloodstained bullet holes on the back of it. But that just makes it all the more special to Sarah. Back in the Buy More, Morgan confronts Jeff and Lester and says that they owe him one uh, and that he'd like to stay with them for the night, which doesn't really sound like, you know, how dire of a situation do you need to be in, Morgan, before you opt to stay in Jeff and Lester's van with them, but go for it. Uh, Lester says that their vacancy has been filled, and we pan over to see the king from the Renaissance Fair standing <laughs> in the background, beckoning Jeff and Lester to come hither. Jeff and Lester are beside themselves with excitement about living with a king and exit the store as Morgan rolls his eyes behind them. Down in Castle, Beckman explains... Wait, 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 We have to talk about one thing. Whoa, 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 So, I understand why you didn't draw reference to this, because it's not normally something we would point out, but 
Um, Jeff and Lester are excited about living with the king because they think that he will provide them with something. Are you, um, do you know the term that they use? Um, I, I'm not positive. I, I didn't jot it down. I, I wanted to ask, um, this, this is actually a modification of a term that I heard for the first time from you in college, so. Jesus um, Christ, oh God. <laughs> okay, so they use the term Ren Tang. So I wanted to ask, how do you feel about the term Ren Tang? Um, not great, and even worse <laughs> now that you have an association uh, of me. Dare I ask, what kind of context would that have even been brought up? I f- it was it wasn't awful. It wasn't was that it bad. Ir- I feel like was it ironic? Was, um, it was. Uh, please tell me it was ironic. I can't imagine. Yeah, no, it was okay. definitely ironic. You said. Um, you said that you thought that I feel like it was like in the context of like Harold and Kumar or something. You said you thought that was a funny word and I had never heard of the word before. Oh, OK. So then. now, Yeah. So now when I when I hear that word, which is not really often, I feel like it was more of a 2010s word, early 2000s word. Um, I think of you. So if you look in the dictionary, if you look up, if you look up this word, it's uh, a picture of Chris. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I so it sounds like I wasn't actually using it. I was more of just kind of no, you weren't, infatuated you were just kind with of like the existence of it. Amused by it. It is a silly word. It, yeah. it is. Um, there are some sounds that are proven to be funnier than others, and <laughs> it happens to have some of those sounds. So it is a funny word. Um, so down in Castle, Beckman explains to Chuck and Sarah that she's discovered that the First Bank of Macau is using their stolen server room to run a black market stock exchange, laundering money for criminals, terrorists, and rogue nations. The big three. Sarah deduces that if they could hack into those servers, they could get boatloads of valuable intel. Beckman agrees and says that she needs Vivian to return to the bank and log into their network and plant a digital tag. Beckman asks Chuck if he can get Vivian to do that, and he says yes, but that Vivian will want a meeting with Volokov in return for her help. Beckman is skeptical, but Chuck thinks that Vivian deserves it, so Beckman agrees to set it up. Beckman then adds that they're going to need a major diversion to distract bank security while Vivian does her thing. Sarah asks what she had in mind, and Beckman says, gear up. You two are going to rob a bank. I have one question about this, too. Why do you think it's so heavily, like, the burden of, um, like, treating Vivian as an asset is placed so squarely on Chuck's shoulders? Like, Sarah is a part of the mission, too, and she arguably has more experience with this. Like, do you think it's kind of like a test for Chuck? Do you think, like, Beckman thinks Sarah is busy or like, why isn't it a team effort and is kind of like all on Chuck? My understanding of it was that since Chuck is more of a people person, that he would kind of be the handler, you know, that he's okay. more of, yeah. you know, because Sarah has got her own stuff going on and Chuck is pretty good at handling the different okay, people. That's so fair. It just like seems like Chuck was kind of reluctant about it. And I don't know why Beckman was just like, you have to do this and Sarah can't help. <laughs> but you know whatever later that night morgan is staying overnight in the home theater room he's brought his star wars sheets and everything uh just as morgan starts to fall asleep he hears footsteps in the distance accompanied by voices morgan hides behind the couch and watches as two technicians uh wearing hard hats walk into the home theater room and open the elevator door down to castle apparently they've been tasked with installing some kind of uh spy technology that is only used at langley Morgan sneaks down into Castle after them and watches as the technicians enter the newly constructed top secret area. Morgan looks inside the secret door when it opens to see a ton of technicians working and being supervised by none other 
that one Colonel John Casey. <gasps> this is what he's been doing. So Morgan sneaks away from the door. He goes around one of the corners in Castle and just kind of like as as some guys walk by him, he just pretends that he's dropping by. He's just like making sure that everything was delivered properly. He seems to have gotten away with it. And he's about to sneak back into the Bymore when Casey comes out, grabs Morgan by the neck and demands to know, what did you see? Meanwhile, Vivian manages to get back into the first bank of Macau without too much of a problem. As soon as she's upstairs again in the vault, Chuck and Sarah burst in in long black coats and sunglasses carrying guns. I wasn't sure if this was an intentional reference to The Matrix when I was watching it, but I was very excited with the visual similarities. And apparently it was something that the creators intended. So that's great. That's very it's it's very fun. There's like a little fight scene or I guess I would say a big fight scene where like Sarah is shooting and doing backflips and Chuck is shooting and flashing and, you know, everybody's having a great time. They're taking down those bank guards. Meanwhile, in the vault, Vivian's guard goes away to deal with the bank robbery crisis and Vivian takes the opportunity to plug in the digital tag. I have a one question here. So like the CIA talks about, Beckman talks about in her debriefing that no one has ever been able to crack this bank. Um, and I... I guess there's a difference between like having the opportunity to put this tag in and like get all the information about everyone and like just making it into the lobby. But has seriously no one ever tried to rob this bank? Like it seems like it's pretty easy for these two people, one of them who is not even like a fully trained agent. Yeah, Chuck and Sarah um, steal a lot of money in a very short period of time. <laughs> Yeah. They yeah, I mean obviously there's a lot of there's there's a shootout that ensues so it's not like the bank didn't try to but uh yeah, it doesn't seem as complicated as Beckman made it out to seem. Yeah. So as soon as Vivian is done uploading the tag, who should come in but Riley? And honestly, I have another question here is that like is Riley a ghost? Like how does he keep showing up in these highly secure scenarios? Has he interacted with anyone besides Vivian? No, I'm pretty sure Riley's a ghost. <laughs> He's probably a ghost or some kind of like manifestation of Vivian's trauma. So yeah, I think that's accurate. Okay. I well, think that's canon. So, we'll, uh, let me just, we'll call up uh, Chris and Josh and see what they say. Okay, sounds good. So yeah, so Riley comes in. Um, he has a lot to say about Vivian's working with the CIA. He says that the CIA is using Vivian. He seems to know a lot about Chuck. He holds up Chuck's picture and um, says that this is Charles Carmichael. And even though he's pretending to be Vivian's friend and to know a lot about her situation, he's the agent responsible for putting Volkoff behind bars. Doesn't Vivian know this? Like, she seems shocked by it. But, like, didn't they say when they met her, like, we just put away your father because he was an evil mastermind? Like, I maybe she didn't know it was specifically Chuck, but I don't really know why this matters so much to her. But it does. She's very horrified to learn this. Well, I think she's upset by not only the knowledge, but also the fact that like she trusted Chuck and now she feels like she can't trust him. I don't know. I mean, I understand why that is necessary in the context of the episode, but I just feel like she knew that the CIA arrested her father because he was a bad guy. And like just because Chuck was like offering her emotional support, like doesn't mean he wasn't involved in that. Like I I don't know. I'm not in this situation. Maybe I would be betrayed, too. Downstairs, we have a nice little scene between Chuck and Sarah, where Sarah says that wedding planning is going a lot better because she found the dress, and Chuck says he's proud of her and can't wait to see it. 
This is all going on as they're in the middle of a shootout, telling various people to get down in the ground and I'll shoot you if you move and all of those things. So it's it's kind of like a nice humorous situation. Back upstairs, Vivian and Riley continue talking with Vivian insisting that her father is a criminal. Riley insists that Volkov loves her. It's all very like manipulative and gaslighty. Like it's he's just kind of like, I guess Volkov is a very loving man. Of course, I like to believe that he is capable of love um, and other things. But um, I don't know. It just feels kind of manipulative. Like, did he really plant? Like, did he really keep those uh, clippings, newspaper clippings and pictures of her safe in the bank? Or was it all just kind of a plan to, like, manipulate her into taking over his company? Mm. I don't know. Riley is kind of suspicious, maybe because he's a ghost. So it's all just very manipulative. But Riley does say something interesting here. He says that even though Chuck promised that Vivian would be able to see her dad, the CIA is definitely going to go back on its word. He gives Vivian his card, as well as the necklace that she left behind in Volkov's office. She goes back downstairs, and Chuck and Sarah take her as a hostage to sneak out of the building. Vivian goes along with the plan, but seems kind of sad. They get outside and burn all the money that they stole, which I guess they don't need it, but... uh. <laughs> You know, they're in a van outside burning all the money. Vivian seems kind of sad again. Chuck says she did a great job. I know that they don't need it, but don't you think? And I was like, yeah, well, like, can the CIA confiscate it or something? Right. Wouldn't it? I mean, if it was money belonging to evil people, then that's fine. And I guess you can now that I'm advocating for stealing money from banks because I'm not. But like, there's really if the bank owns the money and the bank is evil then I guess it makes sense. But at the same I mean, time... it's the first bank of evil, Chris. So clearly it's evil. They have insurance probably, so they'll probably get the money back. Does paper money even mean anything at all? Like, But doesn't the... Like, wouldn't that affect the economy of that much currency? I don't know what kind of currency it was. It seemed like to be some kind of local currency. Wouldn't that... Destroying all that money and removing it from the, the economy, wouldn't that have some kind of effect? Wouldn't, couldn't they also, couldn't the CIA donate that money to like a charity or something? There's a lot of questions here. And I think you, you've got your head on straight, Chris. You're, you're really asking the right ones. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So back in Castle, Beckman tells the team that they did great. Chuck follows up about Vivian having the chance to meet her dad. And Beckman says, no, this is not happening anymore. The CIA weighed the risks and decided against it. She is not sympathetic to Chuck's concerns about this. And Chuck is sad. Chuck goes in to tell Vivian the bad news. When Vivian asks for more information, what does Chuck say, Chris? It's complicated. It's complicated. Vivian is obviously upset by this, but she puts on a brave face. We know, based on the information that she got from Riley, that uh, she is, the wheels are turning in her head. She is, uh, does not feel that she can trust Chuck or the CIA anymore. Back at the apartment complex, Sarah has become what I can only describe as a bridezilla. Uh -oh. she's, <laughs> she's suggesting that they get married on a private island. She wants to fly in her cake from France. Ellie is a little worried that she's created a monster. Chuck is also worried because he works at the Bymore, allegedly, and says he can't afford all of these things, which does bring up the interesting question of, like, who is paying for Chuck and Sarah's wedding? Like, I guess I kind of assumed the CIA would be, but that doesn't really make sense. Um, like, They've helped with weddings before, obviously, but um, I don't know. I just kind of assumed like Sarah had a ton of money and could do whatever she wants, but maybe that's not true. I guess she would have money for the wedding. But then I was also wondering, like, well, Chuck doesn't really work at the Buy More anymore. 
Yeah. Like, is he still getting paid a buy more salary? Is he getting paid by the CIA? Because wouldn't he be making probably more money with the CIA than he would at buy more? But if they took all that money from the First Bank of Macau, like, couldn't they have used that to fund their wedding, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, they could have exchanged it for U.S. dollars. That would have made sense. Back in the Buy More, Morgan apologizes to Casey for snooping around in Castle, but he asks what it is Casey was doing. Casey says it's nothing and not to worry about it, but Morgan drops the name that he heard the technicians say earlier, which is TR476. I don't know if this is a reference to anything. Chris and I weren't sure. I thought maybe it was a Terminator thing, but uh, IMDb has nothing to say about it, so we don't know. Basically, Morgan then blackmails Casey into allowing Morgan to stay in his apartment so that Morgan won't tell anyone about what Casey is doing in Castle, and Casey reluctantly agrees. Finally, at home, Chuck gives Vivian a call, presumably to apologize or explain himself further about the Volkov situation, but she sends him right to voicemail. He leaves a message apologizing further. We cut to Vivian where she's in a car with Riley. She tells him she's ready to learn the truth. Oh no, she's... Maybe gonna be bad now. What are we gonna do? Because of Chuck. Ah. So, Chuck versus the first bank of evil. Yes. Now we have Chuck Mary Kill, where we part, or take one part of this episode that we'd like to marry on a private island, and one part of this episode that we would like to kill. Um, Aaron, what would you like to marry this week? So it would make sense if I said uh, Vivian based on how I began this episode, but that is not actually what I'm going to say. Yeah, I didn't really get the impression that you wanted to marry her, necessarily. <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, I really enjoyed the bank manager, played by Francois Chow. He's um, someone I recognized from his time on Lost, and I was really excited to see him. I thought he handled very well. Like He was kind of funny and a little bit bumbling, but was also vaguely threatening. He also fit in that cool middle ground of, like, a guest star on Chuck who you recognize who, like, fits into the world and seems like he should be there um, without being, like, too obtrusive and without it seeming weird that we'd never seen him before. I just kind of uh, enjoyed his presence and I thought he did a great job. So I'll marry him. I thought he kind of the that character was making me think kind of like something that was that Volkov himself does where there's this kind of like. You have characters who are ostensibly evil or bad, but mm-hmm. they also that doesn't mean that they're not professional and that they don't uh. they still can't be courteous. Because I feel like even though the bank manager, maybe he's this is just his job. Maybe he's not necessarily evil. But once Vivian passed the test, he was like more than accommodating to her and everything. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. this is kind of an interesting point about ambiguity of like people that you think are evil, maybe are also can be courteous and nice, but are just different. I don't know. Yeah. Something to think about. Something to think about. What about you? <laughs> um, so I guess I didn't really r- recognize the irony of this while I was writing it, but I would suppose that I have to marry the um, the wedding dress montage. Oh, nice. I thought the idea of the wardrobe room was pretty cool, and I'm a little irked that we've never got to see it before, but, uh, you know, if it's existed in Castle this whole time, I thought the dress montage was edited really well, and I think the music worked well, and I think Yvonne's mm-hmm. acting in it was... Yet again, just uh, completely spot on and perfect. I also really enjoyed the the touch of the dress having the bullet holes in the back because I know this is kind of a, a subtle moment of symbolism here, so I don't know if you caught it, but I think I was able to parse it out that the dress is pretty but has seen some shit, much like Sarah herself. 
Wow, that's a keen observation, Chris. Thank you. I also, I would be lying if I said that I did not get choked up when Sarah got choked up looking at the dress because that's oh. apparently the stage in my life that I'm at right now. <laughs> um, I think maybe could have been the least toxic masculine moment I've ever had in my entire life. That's that's true. That's that's great. Good for you. I'm very Thank you. proud of you. Thank you. So I would probably kill um, the Renaissance plotline just didn't have anything <laughs> to do with the rest of the episode. And honestly, like I, I jest that's a little Renaissance <laughs> lingo for you means joke. Um, I made the joke that they had those costumes just on set and figured they might as well use them. But honestly, that's the only real explanation I could think of for why they did this. It didn't really come up again and didn't really like. It, it wasn't even like Jeff and Lester were in costume and like put on funny voices. Like it was just like they had these people and wanted like, I don't know why they paid extras to pretend to be a king and a centaur. Like, I don't know. They just like needed something for Morgan to do. It was like, I I understand. Like, I believe that Jeff and Lester would be into Renaissance fairs. And I believe that there's an interesting plot they could do with this. But there wasn't like. There wasn't, like, a Jeffster Renaissance cover of some, like, 80s rock ballad. Like, I don't know. I just, it it felt half-baked to me. So I would either want it out or want it, like, way bigger. I agree with that. I also thought about that and wrote that down because um, it did feel really misplaced and that it didn't really fit with the rest of the episode. And um, the kind of conclusion that I came to was that because I was thinking of it as like, well, this is a Jeff and Lester subplot that's underdeveloped. Mm -hmm. But then I realized that that's not the case. What it is is actually it's just a part of Morgan's yeah. subplot. And so once I thought of it like, OK, well, this is actually just part of Morgan's arc for the episode. Then I wasn't feeling like it was as underdeveloped. But yeah, it just felt very random and yeah. um, didn't really feel like it amounted to much. Although that's not to say that I didn't laugh like hard when Jeff and Lester went off to go live with the king because I thought the king was really funny. <laughs> yeah, he was funny. So my kill for this week didn't get brought up earlier. So I'm glad to bring it up now. Why was nobody talking about Alex this episode at all? Her photo was in the background of Morgan's yeah, office. Yeah, I noticed that too, yes. Yeah, she is not discussed whatsoever. I'm not saying that Alex and Morgan need to move in together. If they're not ready for that, I don't. Doesn't need to. They don't need to be ready for that. They don't need to be moving into something that they're not ready for. However, I would have liked to someone to have shown some kind of consideration for Alex, um, either by Morgan or Casey or literally anyone. And I also don't understand why none of the characters were like, why don't you stay at Alex's like a couple of nights or something like that? Because I don't know the extent of Morgan and Alex's relationship, but I would think that he might be able to like crash with her yeah. for a little while while he's in yeah, between like, places. Yeah, like spend the night. I assume they've spent the night together at this point. Right. Like just kind of an extended stay. And like I said, it would be fine if they didn't want to do that. And if that's not the direction that the show wanted to go in. But no one even acknowledged that that could have been a remote possibility that Morgan could have stayed with his girlfriend while he is, you know, housing unstable. And that no one no one brought it up that it could potentially be weird for Alex to have Morgan living with her father, you know? Yeah, that is a very good point. I think, um, yes, absolutely. I don't know why they didn't mention it. It it feels honestly like, I mean, this is this is a little bit harsh, but it feels like 
all of the Alex things were added in later. Like they didn't know that she was going to be here. And then they just like backtracked and like inserted like her picture into that scene and inserted that like other references to her. Like it, she is so much not a part of it in episodes where she's not like literally a part of it. <laughs> and even when in episodes when she's a part of it, it's still to a questionable extent of yeah. how a part of it she is. So that was what I was miffed about this week. So someone who is a part of everything we do here at Go mm. Check Yourself is Scooter. Yes. Um, and in memory of him, we have the Scooter scale where we rank this episode with zero to five corn dogs, zero being the least and five being the most. And Chris, what did you give it? I give this episode four out of five corn dogs. Wow. <laughs> I really enjoyed the episode. I thought it had some good laughs. I think it was um aside from the Renaissance material, I thought it was pretty well paced and I felt like the plot lines were juggled pretty well. Um, I think it was a solid follow up to last week's episode. It really conveys this kind of or suggests a compelling transformation on Vivian's part from this kind of um, innocent person to someone who's going to be potentially be evil to to like reclaim what she feels like is her past or her family or whatnot. Um, I enjoyed all of Sarah's subplot about the wedding. Uh, enjoyed Ellie. I thought that. You know, I actually feel much more excited about Chuck and Sarah's wedding now after this episode than I did before. Um, and so I thought that it was a, a pretty solid episode. So first bank of evil, more like a first rate episode of Chuck. Wow. Yep. Pretty funny. You can bank on this episode. <laughs> you can bank on Chris enjoying this episode. This episode has earned my interest. That's good. That was that one was really funny. Um, I'm going to give this episode a three. I thought that it was a solid episode. I think when I look back on everything that happened, and even as I was watching it, I was pretty amazed, like, how many different little things were going on throughout it. Um, like, Morgan's plotline, looking for roommates, like, whether the Renaissance part is underbaked, like, has a lot of different beats, a lot of different things with Casey, a lot of different things with Big Mike. And then there you go to Macau. They go back to the castle. They go back to Macau. They talk to Vivian. Like, there's so much going on, so many emotional beats. And I'm very impressed that the episode more or less pulled it off. That being said, um, I liked the wedding dress scene, but it didn't, like, the rest of the episode didn't really wow me totally. It feels kind of, to me, not that shocking that Vivian is going to make a turn um, it seems like they need a villain for this latter half of the season, and it all felt like things I have seen before with Chuck making a promise to an asset and then the CIA going back on their word, Chuck feeling bad about it, the, the asset turning like bad or not helpful anymore. Um, so I wasn't disappointed by it by any means, but I just it kind of felt middle of the road. It didn't feel particularly surprising other than, again, I thought that the wedding dress was really successful and memorable. Um, and I enjoyed it the first time I saw it, and I enjoyed it again this time. Good. I think that was Great. all valid. I respect mm -hmm. all of that. Thank you. I respect you, too. I respect the lesson of the week, where we share what we learned this week. Aaron, what did you learn this week? Forget Kleinfeld. The CIA has the best wedding dresses around. I know that sounded like an ad, but that's also what I learned. I think I'm gonna have to hit up Langley or, um the farm or uh, other CIA bases in order to um, get my wedding dress when I'm looking for that kind of thing. 
To be fair, Langley and the farm do sound like names of high-end dress boutiques. <laughs> That's true, they absolutely do. Now the farm might be more of like a wedding reception area, but Langley definitely sounds like it would be a, a store. Langley there. definitely does. I feel like the farm could be kind of like, like, I mean, it, it is also like a nickname for what the farm actually is, like a CIA training facility, but I feel like the farm could be like kind of a cutesy nickname for like a like rustic themed wedding shop that you have to be like in the know about and it's in like small town Vermont but like all the like like Taylor Swift's of the world go there and like they post like we're going to the farm and everybody's like where is the farm like we want those dresses like that's what it sounds like to me yeah that's exactly what I was thinking (laughs) uh (laughs) this week I learned that it is easier to transfer accounts at the first bank of evil than it is to transfer accounts with my internet (laughs) provider in New York what only took minutes for the first bank of evil uh, took literally two months uh, for Optimum to do <laughs> and was somehow even more painful. So uh, if there's anything that's the, like, I don't want to say this is an advertisement, I guess, what's the opposite of an advertisement? Um, uh, a negative review? Basically what I would like to say is, fuck you, Optimum. I think you <laughs> suck. Um, All right, so this episode is not, definitely not brought to you by Optimum. No, but it is brought to you by Discovery Plus. Check it out. um so i would be remiss aaron if i didn't ask i know much like you apparently associate me with the word poontang uh i associate you with renaissance fairs and i would be remiss if you i just wanted to give you an opportunity while we're wrapping things up if you had anything that you wanted to any anecdotes or anything you wanted to share pertaining to renaissance fairs because i know that they have played a role in your life they have played a role in my life My dad got really into Renaissance fairs when I was like 10 and we had like a couple years where we just went around all the Renaissance fairs in the New England area and I owned a corset, my mom owned a corset, we all dressed up, we all went, I have a necklace in my closet that looks, that is from a Renaissance fair, it's the only remnant of my Renaissance days. They do have a special place in my heart, I do get fluttery, happy, uh, nostalgic feelings when I smell incense. I do still remember the radio stations and podcasts that my dad listened to every Sunday during the Renaissance phase. Um, he does not still own his sword. As far as I know, he no longer attends Renaissance fairs. This was just like a blip. Um, this was one of the many interests that he acquired and then lost. But yes, that is what Chris is referring to. And I like Renaissance fairs. I always want to go. I haven't been to one in a while, but there is a prominent one in L.A. Um, so maybe maybe when COVID is over, I'll go. Maybe I'll see Jeff and Lester there. Maybe I'll see the king there. Honestly, it could honestly be that like the Renaissance fair was like in town and they were like, ah, we really like this. Let's like hire these people to be in an episode (laughs) of Chuck. (laughs) Well, I I think that's adorable and i think it's very endearing <laughs> so thank you for sharing that story you're very welcome uh i think it's one of the one of the many reasons that i i love the erotic clan <laughs> as um just some of my favorite humans so me me as well on that note this has been chris gillespie reminding you that food is sexy and this is aaron rada letting you know that anything is possible that's right anything is possible like going to a renaissance fair and I wanted um, to, like, make a reference. I wanted to, like, say, like, anything is possible, ye matey, or something, but that's not really, like, run it. That's pirate. Um, pirate fair would be fair, fun. Fair maiden. Fair, fair maidens, masters, and friends. 
Is there, why do I associate the rena your renaissance um, experience with like watermelons? Did your dad like cut a watermelon? Yeah, he cut a watermelon with a, with a sword. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.